Okay, we're beginning a new series tonight, uh, Tuesday nights. Uh, we have, in the past, um, always gone from the Old Testament to the New, back and forth. And the point of that is, is that we're trying to get our good folks here to have a balanced view of truth, to grasp the Bible as a whole, first of all, very important, the Bible is a whole book, not a little piece, pieces all shoved together. And to grasp that in our minds and then to have a more balanced view of things. And so we go from the old to the new, the old to the new, back and forth on Tuesday nights so that you'll have uh, a grasp of how things work together. And there are some passages in the Bible that are fun. They have a good time with them. I like to read about Daniel in the lion's den and David and Goliath and all those Noah's Ark and fun things like that. And uh, in the New Testament, a lot of education, as Paul writes, half of the New Testament. But there's a few places in the Bible that we avoid. Why do we avoid them? Well, because uh, it may not have the... F- great story behind a historical event or whatever, but it's in the Bible for a purpose. And so we're going to go to the minor prophets now, this time, and look at the book of Micah. Now of all the minor prophets that you love, what's your favorite? Micah. (laughs) Well, uh, Jonah is, of course, the most famous of the minor prophets. And his story, Jonah and the whale, uh, has been a favorite of people for years. And that's certainly probably the best storyteller there. Uh, but each one has something to offer. Some of them you'd say, well, not very much. If you know your books, you know it's Hosea, Joel, Abus, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, right? Got that? Got that, right? Obadiah uh, is one chapter. And you read it and you'll say, why is that in the Bible? What's that got to do with anything? Well, it's got a lot to do with things. And uh, we're not going to look at it now. The reason we've chosen Micah is because uh, the general opinion is that he's the best of the authors in this passage, these, these minor books. And uh, he was a very good poet. And very put things in a wonderful way, and I find that some of his things are very, very helpful. And so we're going to go through it, and you'll say, "Well, that doesn't sound too exciting tonight." Hang on to your hat because we got to we got to do a Bible study tonight. We have to dig in to get the gist of what's going on. You got to work at it, and uh, sometimes when you read over a passage, and when I read, you know, this chapter one of Micah over for the first time, I scratch my head at the end, and I say, I don't know what in the world any of that means. But we got to go back and dig in and find out because it's there. And always remember this: the Bible is its own best commentary. All right? 
And if you want to learn about the Bible, the Bible is his own best commentary. So in other words, somewhere, if we get to a passage like we're about to do tonight, and we say, well, what does that mean? We've got to turn to other parts of the Bible to have it explained to us. So it's going to become important tonight as we look around a little bit in some other parts of the Bible to figure out what Micah, who he is, what he's talking about. And uh, it's a very unusual passage. I don't know anything quite like it in the rest of the Bible. It's very unusual. And it would almost automatically, you would read it and say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what that means. And uh, so we're going to work on it. We're going to do a little hard work tonight and see if we can get a grasp of who this fella is. He is certainly noted as the best author in the Minor Prophets, and he's compared with Isaiah. And Isaiah wrote 66 chapters. Micah wrote seven. All right. So which would you rather read, 66 or seven? <laughs> Isaiah's a lot of reading, a lot of hard going. Micah uh, says things just as well as Isaiah, which Isaiah is noted as the great poet in the Bible. And Micah is too. He's very good at the way he says things. And you'll see tonight that it's a different way of saying things. So we begin the book of Micah chapter 1. Here we go. The word of the Lord that came to Micah, the Morashthite, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Right away, the first thing that strikes you is there's two words that don't go together. Did you get them? Did you see them? There's two words that don't go together. If you're listening and paying attention, you see it says, The word of the Lord that came to uh, Micah, which he saw concerning Samaria. I thought you heard words. It says he saw words. Right? He said, here's the word of the Lord, and he saw it. Well, it should be, here's the word of the Lord, and he heard it, right? And that would be normal, you'd say, but that's not what it says. It says, here's the word of the Lord that he saw. And so he saw words. <laughs> Does that mean God wrote him on a letter and sent him to him? Well, no. I think what God probably did was gave him a vision. He had a vision. He had pictures in his mind come into his mind from God and you know, it's like running a movie through your mind, and he's seeing these things coming, and uh, God shows him uh, through these visions what's going to happen. And so uh, it's a different way of seeing things. He said, well, I got the word of the Lord. This is what God said. He showed me. I saw uh, with my eyes what he said. And so... That's an interesting way to look at it, and it shows that he had visions, I think, was what he saw. And uh, when you, we see some of the things we're about to look at, we'll say, wow, that must have made him scratch his head. And that was true of most of the people that had visions. Daniel said, I saw a vision, and I said, what does that mean? You know, he saw this great big monster uh, with... Uh, you know, a golden head and a silver chest and so forth. 
what's that? What's that? And God explains it to him. And so we got the same thing with Micah. He's seeing things, pictures moving by. And, uh, you know, we like pictures, don't we? How many people didn't watch TV today? <laughs> got a couple, all right? I mean, most people would get flicking on. You get up in the morning, watch the news until it makes you mad. 30 seconds or whatever. And, uh, but, you know, pictures go good with the human mind. All right? God's a beautiful artist. Look, he painted pictures all around us. And so here he's sending pictures to Micah. And uh, there's another thing in verse 1. He mentions three kings. He mentions Jotham. And he mentions Ahaz. And he mentions Hezekiah. Hezekiah. And those are three kings. And he said he received his visions during the reign of these kings. Now that's going to become very important for us to understand. So let's take a look back at 2 Kings and trace these fellows and see who they were. 2 Kings, 2 Kings, chapter number 15. 2 Kings, chapter number 15. And see who the first one is here, Jotham. 2 Kings 15, verse number 32. In the second year of Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, began Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, to reign. He was five and twenty years old when he began to reign, and he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He did according to all his father Uzziah had done. How be it? The high places were not removed, and people sacrificed and burned incense still in the high places. He built the higher gate of the house of the Lord. So. Jotham gets a, a, a good, good report. He's a good king, all right. But he kind of left a few loose ends. He didn't clean up the idolatry, which was on the high hills. And if you were to walk around uh, Jerusalem outside, the cities outside, you'd see so there's a high hill up there, and there's a pole sticking out of the ground. <coughs> Big pole sticking out of the ground. That's uh, where they worship Baal. And Astaroth up on top of the hill by the pole. And uh, that, you go to the next one, you might see a little uh, 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 altar made somewhere on another hill. And he let those be. All right. And that makes him, he's good for the most part, but he kind of had some loose ends that he didn't take care of. All right. So that's the first one. I want you to notice he ruled for how many years was it? 16 years, we're going to need that. So he rules for 16 years. All right, now let's go see Ahaz, which is his son. All right, and he's going to be the next one. We look at chapter 16, 2 Kings chapter 16. We start at verse 1. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. 
20 years old was Ahaz when he began to reign. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem and did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord as God, like David his father. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, yea, and made his son pass through the fire, according to the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel. He sacrificed and burned incense in the high places and on the hills under every green tree. Now here's an interesting thing. Dad said what? I can leave them little places on the hills there. Sorry. I'm not going to get rid of them. You come to Jerusalem, I'm not going to bother you with those. Turns out what happens? His son is worshiping on hills all over the place. Turns out to be a very bad king. He's one of the worst, known as one of the worst kings that they had in Jerusalem. And he even, he says, made his son pass through the fire. He sacrificed one of his children to Baal by starting a fire inside of a rock, get an open rock place, start a fire, and take a live baby, throw him in. Oh, we do that all the time in America. Yeah, we do that all the time in America. We we sacrifice babies regularly in America. All right, but but this this guy turned out terrible. He did a horrible thing, and Dad let it kind of slip. And that's a that's a very hard thing to think about. Is I watch people who say, well, I can take a drink, doesn't bother me, and then I see their kids turn into alcoholics. That's a tragic situation because what you may be able to do, your son may not be able to do, and so you better make sure you do what's right. All right, and that's what we're seeing here, an example. Now, he reigns for another 16 years, all right, he does a terrible job, and he's famous for sticking an idol up in the temple. He's a, he's a bad king, bad all the way around, all right? And then we got uh, 2 Kings 18, over another chapter to 2 Kings 18. Chapter 1, chapter 18, verse 1, we come to Hezekiah. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty-five years old was he when he began to reign. He reigned twenty-nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, daughter of Zechariah. He did which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places. Break the images, cut down the groves, break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made for them. For unto those the days of the children did burn incense, and he called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord, departed not from following, kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. So, Here's a guy, he comes right up almost on the very top. He's on the top, he's the best, one of the very best kings, Hezekiah. And he cleans up the mess his father made. Father made a mess, he cleans it up, gets rid of it, gets people back to God. And so he reigns, how long? 
29 years. So why are we keeping track? Well, we're going to add up the total. The total is going to come to 61 years. Well, these kings, the three grandfather, father, and son, reigned for 61 years. And during that 61 years, Micah, as a prophet, is here to do the Lord's work, and God sends him visions, which is a lifetime, right? Most people work how many? 50 years of their life, and then we kind of get lazy, right? <laughs> or whatever, okay? Uh, he works, he's 61 years that he's ministering, and look what, what it's like. This guy's doing pretty good, then boy, everything crashes. It's a total mess. And his son, Hezekiah, turns it around and cleans it up. Right? And so that's a pretty important thing. Now, keep your finger in 2 Kings if you've got a way to do that. Because we're going to have to come back and check something. But let's go back to Micah. We only went to one verse so far. And we learned a lot already of the situation that Micah was called to prophesy in. It was going up and down and up and down. All right, verse 2, back in Micah. Hear all ye people, hearken, O earth, and all that is therein. Let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Now what does he say? Hear ye people. He's a prophet to the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So we have the Mediterranean Sea, and then around here, we got under here, the kingdom of Judah, which uh, the capital is Jerusalem. Up in the northern section, there was a group that broke apart uh, called Israel. They call that Israel, and their capital was Samaria. Samaria. And you remember, this, the northern kingdom started breaking off from the kingdom of Judah and they made a golden calf up north and down south and they told their people, don't go worship in Jerusalem, we have made it convenient for you. Just come and kneel at our calves. Alright, and so M Micah says, okay, hearken, people better pay attention. He doesn't say Israelites, he says oh earth talking to every human being. He's talking to every human being. When somebody gets a word from God, it's not for somebody particular. Sooner or later, it's for everybody. It's for everybody. So he starts the book of Micah and says, when I talk, I'm talking to the whole world. And that world extends back in time and forward in time, too. So he's got something to say to us, and God is, is, says he's going to witness against you. The Lord from his holy temple is coming, and he's going to charge you with what you've done wrong. So I want the whole world to hear it, not just Israel. <clears throat> and that's the nature of the Bible is meant for everybody. That's why I said I want you to have a balanced view of the Bible right in the beginning. Why? Because the Bible says all Scripture is profitable for instruction. All profitable for instruction. So anything that's here is going to be useful to us. And we've already learned a little lesson just in the first verse 
that if dad doesn't take care of business, it can really backfire. It can really make a mess. Okay, here we go, verse 3. Behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place, will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth, and the mountains shall be molten under him, valleys shall be cleft as wax before the fire, as the waters that are poured down into a steep place. All right, so God's coming, and he's going to tear the place apart. He's going to tread upon the high places of the earth. Any place that is a place of authority, somebody has set it up on high, whether it be for a kingdom, whether it be for an army, whatever it's for, he's coming down and he's going to show he has power over all the things that men have set up. And he's going to melt the mountains under them. The valleys are going to crack and the water is like water pouring down a steep place. All right, now think about that in just a second. We'll go on. For the transgression of Jacob is all this for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? So he says there's been wrong sin in both kingdoms. He says the sin in the north is Samaria. And the sin in the south is centered in Jerusalem. And in Samaria, like I told you, they were telling their people, just worship the golden calf and don't go down and worship Jehovah in Jerusalem. And that becomes the focus now. And it was built on a hillside. Samaria was up on a hillside. And uh, you're going to see what happens to that place for the transgression of the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom, Samaria. He says it's going to be the first focus of what's going to happen. And here's what's going to happen there in verse 6. Therefore I will make Samaria as a heap of the field, as a plantings of a vineyard. I will pour down the stones thereof into the valley and will discover the foundations thereof. So what's going to happen in Samaria is they're going to tear it until there's nothing like stones in a field. And around here you don't see it as much, but you go to New England and there's always stones somewhere. Old stone walls, stone piles everywhere. And then they clear a field, they just throw the stones in a pile. Say, well, you've got this big city there that uh, was the capital of your nation. He says, it's going to look like just a stone pile when I get done with it. They're going to tear down all the foundations as plantings of a vineyard or the ground is all tore apart. You're going to pour the stones into the valley. And so they're going to tear Samaria off the hill it's on and it's going to roll down into the valley and he said and discover the foundations or going to dig up the foundations of the houses in Samaria that capital city until there's nothing left and so it will be totally destroyed they're going to get rid of it entirely why? Because, we'll see in a bit, but uh, because uh, they are not listening to God, they're acting against God. They're doing what God said, don't do. 
And so he's going to come and destroy it. Now let's go back to 2 Kings. And we skipped one chapter, 17. And so we go to uh, 2 Kings, chapter 17. And we look at verse number 13. Second Kings 17, verse 13. The Lord testified against Israel, against Judah, by all the prophets and all the seers, saying, Turn you from your evil ways. Keep my commandments and my statutes. According to all the law I have commanded your fathers, which I sent you by my servants, the prophet. And one of those prophets would be Micah. All right? Notwithstanding, they would not hear, but hardened their necks, like the neck of their fathers that did not believe in the Lord their God. They rejected his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers. His testimonies which he testified against them. And they followed vanity, became vain, went after the heathen that were round about them, concerning whom the Lord charged them that they should not do like them. They left all the commandments of the Lord their God, made to them molten images, even two calves, and made a grove, and worshipped all the host of heaven, and served Baal. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, and used divinations and enchantments, sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel, and removed them out of his sight. But there was none left but the tribe of Judah. All right, and so, between... King Ahaz, where things hit a low, and Hezekiah, before Hezekiah comes to the throne, Micah said, God is particularly angry with Samaria for what they've done. And what did they do? They worshiped Baal and sacrificed their children and had the golden calves and all the rest. So God said, I want them gone. I want them wiped out. And who wiped them out? Well, there was a northern kingdom up here called Assyria. Assyria. And Assyria, uh, capital was Nineveh. You've heard of Nineveh before. Who went there? Jonah, Jonah went to Nineveh. All right. Uh, and Assyria was a powerful kingdom. And so they had a leader, a king named Sennacherib. <laughs> Sennacherib was his name. And he came down. And he set siege to Samaria. And when he finished, he tore every building to the ground, even the foundations, rolled down the hill, just like Micah said. And now the remains of the city laid down there in the hill. And they've even dug into it now as uh, archaeologists looking. And they come up with nothing left. There's no foundations, no nothing. It's all gone. And so uh, Assyria comes down and attacks Samaria, wipes it out, completely wipes it out, in between somewhere in the reign of Ahaz and in between Hezekiah. And as we're told that it happened before Hezekiah comes to the throne. So he has given a warning. And he said, this is what's going to happen. Now let's go back to 
Micah. Micah, <coughs> I mean, everything is going to be destroyed. The warning is, look, God said this is how you do things. This is the way I want them done. And you know, we're not going to do it that way. We're going to do what we want to do. And you're going to pay for doing it that way. God is not going to have it. And you say, well, that's just idol worship. No, no, that's everything we do is a command from God. Love each other. It's a command from God. It's things that we're supposed to be working on, supposed to be doing. And so let's see what happens. Verse 7. All the graven images thereof shall be beaten to pieces, and all the hires thereof shall be burned with fire, and all the idols thereof I will lay desolate. For she gathered it the hire of a harlot, and they shall return to the hire of a harlot. So when Sennacherib got to Samaria and tore the place apart, he said, well, if we find gold, we want to keep it for ourselves. Well, where do they find it? On the idols. They'd make an idol out of gold, or they would make an idol out of wood and put gold chains on it or whatever. And so uh, Sennacherib says, get to me them idols. We'll just burn away the junk and we'll take the gold. We'll be ours. All right. Well, how, he says, did that gold come? He said, it, it was gathered of the hire of a harlot. Or that is, um, God, is, we're supposed to be married to God, right? You know, the Bible tells us that we are the bride of Christ. We're supposed to be married to God. He's the one we tie ourselves to him and say, I'm tied to you forever. All right? That's the way it's supposed to be. He says, I'll take care of you like a bride, and you make a commitment to me, and I'll take care of you. It'll be that kind of relationship. And so they said, well, we don't want that relationship. So we're going to hire a harlot. Well, who's the harlot he's hired? Well, they worship Baal instead. Worship Ashtaroth instead. Any of those gods, he said, anyone that was around golden calves, all kinds of things. We're going to worship anything but God. Or that is, we are going to be adulterous. We'll hire a, a harlot and that'll be our worship. And so he says, uh, they Sennacherib comes, burns the idols, collects all the gold and silver and precious gems, and burns their idols. All right? And then he says, he's going to return to the hire of a harlot. So he said, because they defied God and refused to worship him, acting instead towards a harlot, uh, he said, Assyria comes, takes away their idols, takes the gold, but they're in the same position. They don't worship God either. Assyria doesn't worship God. They worship harlots too. They got their own gods up there in Assyria. And so you say, well, how come these people are not godly people, but they're coming down and destroying uh, Israel? God's purpose to bring punishment to his people. And he said, if you're going to keep doing it like this, I'm going to bring a punishment on you. And so here comes, uh, they're going to be, these Assyrians are going to come. And they're a rough bunch. 
they were noted. Uh, what they liked to do best was uh, go in, take a city, cut everybody's head off that they could find, and throw them in a pile outside the gate. And you knew you were in a Syrian city that they had overtaken when there was a pile of heads outside the gate. Sometimes they made two piles. Too many for one pile, so they made two piles. And that's what they were famous for in history. We cut off everybody's head when we go in there. So they went to Samaria and absolutely tore the place apart. And used, God used them to punish. He used them to punish Israel. The warning... Verse 5, for the transgression of Jacob, Jacob is this, the sins of the house of Israel. Yeah, Sennacherib destroyed that place. What is the transgression? Is it not Samaria? Yeah, that was destroyed. What are the high places of Judah? Oh, Judah's got the same problem. And when he attacked Samaria, Ahaz is king, and what's he doing? He's taking his own son and burning him to Baal, making a human sacrifice to Baal. And so Micah says, they just tore Samaria to pieces, and you're next. You're next. If you don't straighten up, you're next. Now how do you feel about this? Well, let's see how he does feel. Verse 8, therefore I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. I will make a wailing like dragons and mourning as the owls. He feels horrible about it. You don't want anybody to go through that kind of thing. And particularly, those are probably relatives, distant relatives of his that lived in Samaria. You don't want that to happen. He said, I don't feel good about this. I'm not clapping my hands. There, I told you that was going to happen. There, you, now you know what's right. That's not the way he is. He said, I'm crying like an owl in the night. Morning, he says. And uh, I wail. I, he's crying. He's feeling miserable. This is not what he hoped would happen. He hoped that it would have to go that far. But as Samaria is torn to pieces, he says, I feel terrible. Verse 9, for her wound is incurable. Her wound is incurable. Uh, Here's the thing, Samaria, I'm warning you, I'm telling you, if you keep doing things that God doesn't want you to do, you're going to pay an awful price for it. So you can't keep doing those things. So take the medicine and straighten out. No, I'm not taking that medicine. I'm not taking it. I will not do the right thing. I will do what I want to do. And that's a tragic thing. The saddest thing in the ministry that I know is when that comes. I mean, my experiences are there are people who refuse to change directions. And if you say to them, you're heading in an awful direction, don't tell me. Don't tell me. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's a very sad part of being a minister. And then people say, I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to listen. I'm going to do what I want to do, so don't tell me what to do. 
And that's what he's saying. He says, the wound's incurable. You won't take the medicine. I give you the medicine. Please take it, he said. Please take it. No, they won't take it. So in verse 9, her wound is incurable. And it has come unto Judah. He has come unto the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. Now, what happens is Sennacherib, a few years later, comes down and he's going to take Jerusalem. This guy's powerful. He's got a huge, huge army. And he moves down. He's going to take Jerusalem. And now Micah says, look what happened to Samaria. Wake up. Wake up. Jerusalem, please wake up. He's coming for you. Now, the next few verses are some of the more difficult in the passage. And if we didn't get some outside help, I wouldn't know what to tell you. But I found people who understand some of these words. Otherwise, we'd be thoroughly confused. Here's Sennacherib. He's taken everything he's touched. Any city he's laid, taken, he's taken over, laid it waste, and and become more and more and more powerful. And his armies are unstoppable. And he's swept down to Egypt. He's coming back. Next thing on his list is Jerusalem. And he's going to lay siege to Jerusalem. All right. <clears throat> and in 2 Kings 18, back where we were again, 2 Kings, his story is laid out. 2 Kings 18 Verse 17, 2 Kings 18, verse 17. The king of Assyria sent Tartan and Rasaris and Repsaketh from Laish to King Hezekiah with a great host against Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they were come up, they came and stood up by the conduit of the upper pool, which is the highway of the Fuller's Field. So now Sennacherib's army is there at Jerusalem. And they have arrived and are going to lay siege to Jerusalem. All right, now let's go back to Micah <coughs> because everybody is scared to death, as they ought to be, as they ought to be. They're scared to death. So, here we go, verse 10. Declare ye it not at Gath, weep ye not at all. All right, down over here on the coast is a city named Gath. And who came from Gath? Goliath. Goliath came from Gath. It's a capital of the Philistine nation. And so he says, he says, we, Sennacherib's come. He's laying siege to Jerusalem. Don't tell Gath. Make sure you don't go howling it out to Gath. I don't want Gath to know. Why? What would they be doing down there in the Philistines? <laughs> Sennacherib will get rid of those people that we hate. They'd be cheering. He says, I don't want people cheering. All right. I don't want them rejoicing over God's people's calamity. So don't say it. Don't cry out loud. Don't say it to Gath. 
keep it quiet. In the house of Ephra, roll thyself in the dust. Now, these names, the next few names that we're going to look at are, uh, people say, well, I don't think that that's uh, a real city. We never heard of that in the Bible. And I think it's right. It's not a real city. The, the word Afra means house of dust. That's what it means. Right? House of dust. And it's not, we don't believe that's a real place. So he says, uh, don't be crying and screaming out loud, but you better get down in your own house and roll around in the dust. And why did they do that? For sorrow's sake. When they were repenting, what do you do? You repent in dust and ashes. You take ashes and spread them on your head like Job did. And where's he sitting? He's sitting down in the dirt. And that was the way in those days people had repent. So he says, the house of dust, he says, you better be repenting on the floor when you realize who's coming. Verse 11, pass ye away thou inhabitants of Safer, having thy shame naked. Now Safer, another name sounds like a city. Uh, it, it means... Um, it's neat, beautiful, safer, means thou that dwells fairly. All right, these people are people that are well off, all right? Safer. This is the house of dust. These are people who are well off. They're living well. They're doing well, he says. And he says... Uh, Having thy shame naked, pass away, ye thou inhabitants of safer, having thy shame naked. Or he says, if you think that uh, you are well off and that your wealth will protect you, he says, you're very wrong. Uh, all your jewelry and your wealth will be stripped off of you, and you'll be uh, in just as bad a shape as anybody. These people that are coming are going to strip you of anything that makes you well off. All right, the next one, the inhabitant of Zayanan. All right, here's another one. Zayanan. What is that? No city that we ever heard. Zayanan. Uh, came not forth in the morning of Beth Azel. He shall receive of you his standing. Zayanan means uh, lots of flocks, lots of sheep, which means, therefore, lots of flocks, lots of sheep, there's lots of people. And so there were places where there was a lot of people living there, and they thought, well, you know, that army's not going to get us, because we got a lot of people here. And he said, no, no, no. He says, uh, the inhabitant of Zanon came not forth in the morning of Bazel. He shall receive of you his standing. Bazel, or, or Beth-Azel, Beth-Azel means the house close by. Beth always means house. 
And so there's a house close by. So he says these people in Zanon, where there was a large population, they thought we're safe when Sennacherib comes. Uh, he said, you never made it to the house next door to help them. God wouldn't allow that. As a matter of fact, he said, when the army comes, they made their camp right in your place. All right, so Sennacherib's army camped right in the place where there's lots of people. Why? Because he's not scared of lots of people. Now, it would be very difficult to figure this out if you didn't do it. Verse 12, For the inhabitant of Moroth waited carefully for good, but evil came down from the Lord unto the gate of Jerusalem. One more place is Meroth, Meroth, which means a hard place, or more than that, a hidden place. So there'd be people living up way up in some mountain somewhere, and you say, well, they can't even get to them up there. They're way up there. They're hiding up in the mountains because they think they'll be safe. So he says, verse 12, the inhabitant of Merah, the hidden place, is waiting for something good to happen, but evil came down from the Lord right to the gate of Jerusalem. So Sennacherib (coughs) comes through these places which are, he came out of the northeast, uh, which would be down this way. And as he's coming through little towns and villages and all these things, he's moving right through and he goes right to Jerusalem. And of course around Jerusalem are mountains. People think, well, we're safe in the mountains. Oh no, he went right through that right to the gate. And so people who thought they had money, people who thought their numbers would protect them, uh, people who thought uh, uh, they lived in a hard place to get to, they were safe. None of them are safe. You come right down through in. Now, the thing that throws it off, makes it difficult, is verse 13, O thou inhabitant of Lachish, that was a real place. That actually was a real city. He said, bind the chariot to the swift beast. She is the beginning of the sin of the daughter of Zion, for the transgressions of Israel were found in thee. So he says there was a real place over here, the other side of Jerusalem called Lachis. And uh, Snecherib went there, and the, the warning is, you better get your fastest horse and hook it up to your chair and get out of there. Escape, flee. But they couldn't flee. He took laces before he went to Jerusalem. So there's a very powerful force. People are scared to death. They don't know what to do. And he says, uh, laces, he says, uh, was a place they thought would be safe, but the transgressions of Israel were found in thee. They were also worshiping up on the mountaintops, Baal. All right, verse 14. Therefore thou shalt give presents to Moreshagath. The houses of Ekvib shall be a lie to the kings of Israel. And so he says these, these places, you think you can buy them off with presents. So people thought, well, we can bribe, we can bribe Sennacherib. 
Ah, he's going to take what he wants. Bribe means nothing to him. There's nothing you can do all right, to do anything. And then the house of Exib is a town in Philistia. These are Philistines. And he says, some people went down to the Philistines and said, help us, and Eckerd's coming. He said, yeah, we'll be right there. Go ahead. We'll, go ahead. And they never came to their aid. So he has this picture that he's painting of people who think maybe there's enough of us. Maybe we got enough money. Maybe we can bribe our way. Maybe we can flee and escape. None of it works. Nothing will work. Verse 15, yet I will bring an heir unto thee, O inhabitant of Marishah, and he shall come to Abdullam, the glory of the Lord. Make thee bald, pole thee for thy delicate children, enlarge thy baldness as an eagle, for they are gone into captivity from thee. To make yourself bald was part of what he was trying to get people to say. Roll in the dust. He said, I'm howling. I'm howling like an owl in the night because I feel so bad about what's happening to God's people. He said, you need to roll in the dust. You need to repent. And so start pulling your hair out. And that was another part of what they did. When they were trying to uh, repent, they said, do anything. Put ashes on your head. Pull your hair out. He said, make yourself bald like an eagle loses his feathers. Pull your hair out and try to repent. It's your only chance. The only chance you're going to have is to repent. And so, uh, as he's preaching his message, he's pointing to Samaria. <laughs> Go up there and see for yourself. The stones are all rolled down the valley. There's nothing left. I'm coming to you with a message. Repent. Please repent. Please don't do what you're planning to do. Please don't do it. And he says, please don't do it. But who's the king now? Hezekiah. Who what? Does everything right. Like he's supposed to. So what happens? Jeremiah... Chapter number 26. Jeremiah. Chapter number 26. Jeremiah 26, 17. Now, this is way past Micah's time. Micah's dead and buried. Right? Jeremiah is writing this down. Jeremiah 26, 17. Then rose up certain of the elders of the land, spake to all the assembly of people, saying, Micah, the Morristite, prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and spake to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed like a field, Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountains of the house as the high places of a forest. All right, so as we've seen that, right? So this is what happened in Samaria. He's warning them it's going to happen in Jerusalem. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him at all to death? Did he not fear the Lord and besought the Lord, and the Lord repented him of the evil that he had pronounced against them? This might we, thus might we procure great evil against our souls. Or he said, 
uh, Jeremiah said, remember the back that Micah? Remember that Micah prophet? And he went to old Hezekiah the king. And Hezekiah was a good man. And he said to Hezekiah, they're going to ruin this place. Just like they did in Samaria, it's going to be a pile of stones poured down in the valley. So you need to repent. And Hezekiah said, you're right. I need to make a good decision. I need to repent. And so he went to God, poured his heart out to God, and said, they're outside the gate, God. They're outside the gate. And they're standing out there. And what, what Sennacherib did, he got people who could speak Hebrew. And he sent them around the city of, of uh, Jerusalem outside the gate. As you holler in and you tell them, hey, that Hezekiah believes in that God of yours. So far, no God has come against us. There's no God that's beaten us. And we're telling you poor folks in Jerusalem, don't listen to Hezekiah. And so Hezekiah prayed to God. He said, they're outside the gate and they're making a mockery of you, God. And I'm here to ask you to help and to forgive us and to help us. And so 2 Kings again, chapter 19. So we've gone through 15, 16, 17, 18. Now we come to 2 Kings 19. We had a king that didn't quite do right that brought a very bad king in. Hezekiah is a very good man. Between the two, Samarians destroyed. Now Sennacherib's army, the Assyrians are gathered around the city of Jerusalem. 2 Kings 19, verse number 35. Let's do 34. I will defend this city and save it for mine own sake and for my servant's David's sake. And that's God talking. Came to pass that night, the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrian hundred and fourscore and five thousand. That's 185,000. When they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed, went and returned, dwelt at Nineveh. Came to pass as he was worshiping in the house of Nishrod, his god. Remember, he said the, the harlots. In Samaria, going to take the gold and take it to the harlots in Assyria. He's worshiping his God that Adramelech and Sherezer, his son, smote him with a sword. They escaped in the land of Armenia. And so he died there that day. But what happened? God sent a plague, and there's different people believe different plagues whichever one it was, but he killed 185,000 men in one night. And here's an entire army laying dead around the walls of Jerusalem. And who'd have ever thought that was possible? Without lifting a finger, Hezekiah destroyed the army of Sennacherib. How? Because he worshipped God. And he said, oh, Please, please help us. I don't want this to happen. And Micah has warned us what happens to Mary is going to come here. Please, God, please, please, please don't let it happen. And so God wiped out the entire army of Sennacherib in one night. Next morning, 185,000 
dead soldiers. Very impressive. Very impressive. And Micah must have felt, oh, somebody listened. Somebody listened. Somebody repented. Somebody did what was right. And what a glorious victory it is. So that's the first chapter of Micah. We're pretty excited. We just got started. We had to look around a little, find what actually happened so we could make sense of it. And so there's a beginning of Micah. He accomplished something that many of the, of the prophets didn't. He got somebody to repent and change their mind. Well done, Micah. Well done. All right, next week, chapter 2.